0: This podcast was recorded at 6.43 p.m. on Wednesday, March 28th, 2018. Things may have changed by the time you hear this.
1: Wait, what time did you
0: say it is, Raven? It's Fighting Words time.
1: Welcome to Fighting Words, the official podcast of the NYU College Democrats. I'm your host, Ryan Trembauer.
0: And I'm your other host, Raven Quesenberry. It's been a crazy week in the news, so let's jump right in.
1: The United States is finally joining many European states in expelling dozens of Russian diplomats after it was revealed that Russia orchestrated the poisoning of a former spy in the United Kingdom. Russia denies any role in the attack. On March 14th, British Prime Minister Theresa May expelled 23 diplomats. On Monday, March 26th, 12 days later, President Trump finally announced the expulsion of 60 Russian diplomats that currently work in the United States. Russia is expected to retaliate in the coming days with what they have called a provocative gesture. This decision marks a toughening of the tone that the Trump administration has taken towards Russia in the past, especially after it was revealed that the president congratulated President Putin for his quote-unquote re-election earlier this month.
0: On the cybersecurity front, roughly two weeks ago, news broke that a political data firm called Cambridge Analytica used Facebook data to mine users' private information. This included friend networks, likes, and even user location, which a whistleblower has said was used to create predictive personality profiles for over 50 million Facebook users. This information was then used to bolster the Trump 2016 presidential campaign, ranging from digital ads to the very wording the then-presidential candidate used in political rallies. Cambridge Analytical also sold this information to other presidential candidates at the time, including Ben Carson and Senator Cruz. Facebook is now facing intense scrutiny for what they are referring to as a quote-unquote breach of trust. In his first public appearance since the issue, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg has expressed his willingness to testify on the issue before Congress. He has been quoted saying that the question is not whether Facebook should be regulated, but rather what regulations should be in place.
1: Finally this week, we have yet another scandal to talk about unfolding within the Trump administration. After the president fired National Security Advisor H.R. McMaster, he announced that John Bolton, a Fox News commentator and a very conservative firebrand, would fill the vacancy. Trump announced the decision in a tweet and stated Bolton wouldn't start on April 9th, making him the third National Security Advisor so far in the administration. Bolton has previously been called a hawk among hawks and has advocated that a preemptive war against North Korea may be the only way to stop them from obtaining a nuclear missile. In 2005, Bush actually nominated Bolton to serve as the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations. At that time, both Democrats and Republicans blocked his appointment in the Senate by citing his demeaning attitude towards colleagues and his many put-downs of the United Nations itself. Bush, however, overrode their decision and decided to appoint him in a recess session.
0: And that's the week. All right, guys, welcome back. And I am excited to announce we actually have a special guest planned for this week's segment.
1: This week we're bringing in the one, the only, and the always fabulous colleague of mine, Fujimo Osman, president of the NYU College Democrats.
2: Thank you so much for having me you guys. I'm super excited to be here. As Ryan said, I'm the NYU College Democrats president, currently an NYU senior studying computer science and politics, and I'm really excited to get to fighting uh, with our words. (laughs) (laughs) So as
0: someone who's studying politics, how did you first get involved in politics?
2: So I would say that politics is kind of uh, on the backseat when it comes to my academic career. But when it comes to my free time, it's basically my entire life. Actually, uh, I got involved my junior year of high school when my former Congressman Mike Honda of California's 17th uh, District visited us and talked about his inspirational career starting from when his family was put in Japanese internment camps to eventually becoming a lifelong, a lifelong educator and then a congressman for many years in our area. And this is an area that had business coming in only through Silicon Valley as our other uh, industries such as agriculture were dwindling. And on top of that, you had a housing crisis that compacted everything. And he really, truly cared and knew about his, uh, his constituents but also cared for us high schoolers that weren't even a voting age yet and showed me how I could make an impact on a campaign even though I was going to turn 18 after a year. And since then, I basically champion every candidate that not only goes into their campaign thinking about the top issues, but thinking about creative ways to get uh, youth involved as well as those that aren't typically thought of when it comes to the political process.
1: Wonderful. So you mentioned, so you grew up kind of in a Democratic leaning area, so Democratic politics was something that was very prevalent. Um, What brought you to the NYU College Democrats specifically once you actually made it to NYU?
2: (laughs) So I always make the joke that I'm the definition of a coastal elite because (laughs) I grew up in the Bay Area and then ended up uh, in a New York City school, but I was particularly tuned into the NYU College Democrats because I grew up in an area where we were comfortable growing up. Barack Obama was elected in seventh grade and though I was really emotional at that moment, uh, after that it was kind of like, okay, everything is all handy dandy and it was sort of like that when I first entered college but then I met the NYU College Democrats that were talking about housing issues and homelessness and everything that was going on in New York City that was an absolute top-of-line issue but a lot of Democrats weren't looking into it because we had a great mayor, we have a great governor, etc. Good old days. Yeah, (laughs) Um, and so I was super, super shocked at the fact that there was a lot going on that I could could still get involved in that didn't necessarily uh, imply that I had to be working on a campaign and so the NYU College Democrats soon became my family. I was the only um, engineering student in the club, so that was kind of odd at first. But then I, they quickly showed me that everyone needs to be involved in the political process. And so that I, I don't think I've missed a meeting unless I was sick or something since my freshman year. So
1: commendable, it's, been commendable. it's been a
2: good time, yeah. So was that really the biggest thing that got you then into leadership, just being mm-hmm. there at every single meeting? Mm-hmm, I think so. Um, there were a few other freshmen there. And so I was actually, even though they were super kind, I was actually really intimidated by those that were on the e-board because they seemed to know every fact of everything (laughs) when it comes to history and politics, but I soon learned that once you indulge yourself in not only coming to meetings, but also uh, building those friendships outside of the club, it kind of becomes seamless in regards to transitioning into um, first, I was a uh, political director for two years before uh, running for president and within those years I was able to learn about every single position on the board and also uh, work outside of the NYU College Democrats and was actually uh, deputy and then communications director for the College Democrats of New York and that wouldn't have happened without joining the NYU College Democrats first.
1: How has the club kind of changed since you were a freshman? And do you see any connection between how the ideology of the club has changed and the national party at large?
2: Oh, absolutely. So like I said, uh, I was kind of smooth sailing when I first started because uh, of our presidency at the time and uh, not too many contentious races going on. And I, I would like to believe that the Democratic Party was pretty similar in all of its aspect from the top to the bottom. But I think it was just because there hadn't been a situation yet for all of us to look at one another and question what do we believe, what do we agree on, what is our range. So I think once uh, the candidates for the 2016 election kind of came forth, uh, I I definitely saw a transition uh, in regards to Bernie and Hillary and what was going on there. And I was actually pretty proud because uh, even though it's pretty comfortable, it's not fun to be surrounded by people that agree with you on every single issue and don't push you either to one side or the other and so pretty quickly I think our club was really humane in discussing our issues Uh, we went to rallies for Bernie Sanders and we went to rallies for Hillary Clinton and when the nomination came down we all stood behind Clinton and started volunteering every week even while pushing her, her and the party as a whole to the left on a lot of issues and so And I think we pushed our own club more to the left. We started um, co-sponsoring a lot of more uh, initiatives on campus that had to do with either affordability on tuition, raising the minimum wage for student workers, uh, supporting, uh, and also calling out our university when it came from anything from real estate to our campuses abroad. And that's something NYU College Democrats hasn't really done uh, my freshman and sophomore year. I'm really happy with the direction we're going to, into.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. I do want to touch on the, um, so that like Bernie Hillary tension within the club um, for those you know l- months leading up to the nomination, mm-hmm. do you think that's the biggest divide you've seen in the club since you've been involved? Or has there been something else that like brought people to like butt heads a little bit
2: more and have mm-hmm. more like interesting debates? Oh yeah, for sure. I would say that was one of the first times I saw it so prevalent and I think one of the longer longer term ones. But we've definitely um, had inter-club discussions on issues on campus, off campus, uh, top issues when it came to, for example, uh, responding to certain issues and events on campus that uh, whether or not they warranted a response or not. Uh, of course, we as an executive e-board uh, Ryan you know this very well always want to represent our members first and foremost and don't want to make decisions on their behalf no matter what we think uh, it doesn't really matter because we have a club that comes first and so I would say those are the issues and uh, that divide us the most but in the end we always not necessarily have to come to a complete agreement but we recognize and I think this is what matters the most we recognize each other's feelings and each other's thoughts and because of that acknowledgement we can come at each other in a really respectful manner that lets everyone know that their opinions matter. Wow. I mean, that's, that's yeah. more than most people in real government can yeah. say. So. That was
1: exactly <laughs> where I wanted to kind of ch- shift the conversation a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned how at the local level with College Democrats, we are able to be Bernie fans or mm-hmm. Hillary supporters during the primary mm-hmm. and how we still came together and mm-hmm. how we were still able to foster conversation on both sides. Um, Do you see that rhetoric at the national level within the Democratic Party right now? Or what is your kind of perspective on do we still see this kind of factional divide between those that supported Senator Sanders and those that supported Secretary Clinton?
2: I would say it's still there, but not as prevalent as it was immediately after the nomination. I would say it was quite embarrassing and annoying and irritating as a college student to see all of these adults that couldn't get their stuff together and rally behind not only Clinton, but rally behind a lot of issues that both of them addressed um, quite equally, but because certain things overshadow others, we couldn't see that. Um, I would say I'm kind of concerned, not necessarily when it comes to local elections, as we mentioned when it comes to midterms, but I'm really afraid of the major races and. When it comes to choosing our next presidential MVP nominee, what's that going to look like? Um, we don't. I. D- I can't tell who. Are you leaning towards a
1: particular candidate? That's for the, the thing. Uh, if you ask me,
2: <laughs> <laughs> if you ask me, I couldn't even tell you at least like five candidates that I know are going to run for sure, or at least I would rally behind if they did run. Which is sad because every other e- election year we should be able to do that. So I really hope. Um, because it's pretty quiet right now, the DNC is doing that internally and is reflecting and looking at each other like, we can't let this happen again. We have mobilized, and not necessarily they haven't mobilized, but millions have mobilized around issues. And if they don't hone in on that and they don't hone in on the incredible youth movement that is coming right now, youth that are about to turn 18 or just turn 18, then we're going to lose that incredible opportunity and so it's it's getting there Uh, they've been quiet so I hope they're working on it
0: so speaking of the momentum that youth are kind of bringing to Mm -hmm. uh, issues right now Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on Parkland and the gun movement that's happening right now
2: oh man I was so at first I was shocked because these are children that just witness their classmates either die or get injured and they were immediately flung into the national spotlight and essentially became overnight activists. And I thought, there's 16, 17, 18, let them grieve. But I've done this before, in which I grieve through activism. And that's how um, my freshman year, for example, I went to a lot of Black Lives Matter protests, even though I was feeling so crappy at the moment. And so I'm really glad that they were able to not only organize within a month such an incredible march this past Saturday, but they've had guidance, guidances, when it comes to um, elected officials come out, uh, opportunities in which they've been on shows after show talking about who they'll vote for if they adhere to their demands. And they've also acknowledged, and I feel like they're, uh, they're also incredibly strong because as we see on social media, it's kind of been insane what the right wing has done to demonize activists like Emma Gonzalez, for example and how they've kind of returned uh, that demonization with their own spunk as teenagers and just like use their own memes right back at them (laughs) and then instead of and i think that's what's shocking to all of these adults is that they're not going to come into your meeting with a suit and tie and talk to you like a regular politician no they're going to talk to you like the kids that they are and that's why they can't be stopped and Um, lastly which I really admire them for is that they've acknowledged that there have been other youth like in Chicago and Baltimore Mm. that have pushed for gun reform for years and years and haven't gotten the same attention and they've acknowledged their privilege in that and invited them to speak at the March on Saturday for example and have given them their platforms as well and these are kids like you shouldn't expect them to be I hate using the word but woke about uh, everything and they're trying their absolute best they're doing more than any other, I think, um, adult activist has been really doing in regards to this specific issue. And so I admire them completely. I hope they're taking care of themselves and taking a break uh, every now and then in between this. But I think that we're going to see a lot of them either run for office someday, please do, <laughs> or uh, push for, really work for candidates that will push for these changes.
1: Now you were actually at the march in Washington D.C. this past Saturday, could you talk a little bit more about that experience and as a follow-up to that do you, uh, do you think that this time is different? Do you think comprehensive gun reform will come out of Congress this time?
2: So I like to regard myself as like a serial protester. <laughs> I feel like I've been to D.C. way too many times this past year. And this was the most organized protest I've ever been to, whether in D.C. or in New York or wherever else I may have been at uh, when it comes to marches. And by organized, I mean just showing up, thousands of crates of water handed out, um, maps um, when it came to, because I know a lot of people are worried about police presence and how that looks at protests, et cetera absolutely coordinated in which you felt the perfect balance of feeling safe but also not an overwhelming uh, presence in which you felt like you had to like watch what you're doing or anything like that and on top of that of course the speakers um, of course uh, it always concerns me including uh, this also happened at the women's march as well where there's almost like a celebrity essence to the march because it's right. such an like a contentious issue. And I walked in and I heard Kesha's TikTok and I was like, what is going on here? But I get it in regards to, of course, this was the most kids I've ever seen at any protest ever. (laughs) And so showing that element to them, I think was important instead of just being solemn, but also showing that it was a new day and that we are starting to do the work. The speech is incredible. I was in tears the whole time. Everyone's like, are you good? I was like, yes. It's just incredible, again, like I told you, um, to see that these children that are still grieving to uh, teens um, work on, come together and just speak rawly about how they feel and also what we can do next. I love walking away from every march knowing, okay, I can do this, like at least three things and that will continue the movement rather than pat myself on the back and be like, I stood with some people for a couple hours. Uh, and in regards to it feeling different, I asked this of others at the march too, whether they were organizers or parents and etc. And I think we all agreed that it felt different because usually the energy dies out because uh, it's us closer to adulthood that are, Uh, organizing the marches and school gets in the way and if you're, if you have a family, etc. But these teens have school and after school is nothing, so like they have the time and the energy to keep pushing and keep demanding. And they've already shown that and so I feel like it's going to be different, absolutely. Um, And in the age of social media where all of them now have verified profiles and are posting all the time, it's not easy for them to disappear from our feeds and our attention.
0: So I'm wondering, you said you like to walk away from a march with, you know, three things you can tangibly do. Mm -hmm. What are your three things this time?
2: For this specifically, usually I think of, oh, I'm going to contact my reps or I'm going to see um, what places I could donate a couple bucks to since I'm still a student that isn't a big donor yet. But for this one, what I want to do differently is talk to local high school students, because I haven't done that in New York City specifically. I've organized with students back home in the Bay Area. But New York has been my home for almost four years now, and I've yet to walk in, well, I've walked into classrooms, but not specifically ask them, how does it feel? Not only when it comes to not being heard in regards to gun control, but it's post-Trump, these students No, I was 16, and when uh, my conda walk Congressman, my conda walked into my classroom and said, hey, I need your help, and I was like, whoa, you actually care. And so I just want to have a sit down coffee with a high schooler and just be like, what do you care about? Maybe see if I have any resources to either push them towards um, organizations they can volunteer for in their free time or just be an older big sis that they can ran to. Um, Let's see what else. I definitely still believe in contacting representatives, but instead of phone calls, what I'm also hoping to do with the college Dems is push more for lettering campaigns, and uh, we now have a contact in DC that can actually hand deliver them for us, and she's incredible, and so that we can even put more of an impact on not only our reps, but those reps uh, that aren't really being pushed yet because they don't have letters in their face. And the third one, There's so much I feel like there's so much you can do but you always have to cater it to your own free time and I'm gonna be honest like school and like graduating and everything is something else, but I every couple days I like check the profiles of the either Emma's or David's uh, or Sarah's and then see if they have a to-do for that day whether it be like retweeting something or like being like look at our latest blog post or our latest interview Because I feel like even though it's just like an initial step, it's really easy to like forget about a certain movement. Like after the Women's March, I still follow the organizers, but I I haven't read a lot of their interviews as of late or their latest demands. And so I just want to make sure that I don't forget that they're still doing the work and they deserve to have eyes on that work because clicks matter, unfortunately, (laughs) in the society we're in now.
1: So. Some argue that 1968 wrapped up a very tumultuous decade in American history, um, that it permanently shifted the conversation on many important topics, civil rights, um, women's rights. Um, We had several assassinations that the American public had to deal with. Um, Democratic politics as the party changed, because that's when the summer convention in Chicago Mm -hmm. erupted in riots.
0: Mm -hmm. War policies.
1: War policies. (laughs) Are we living through another 1968? Do you think Trump Oof. is going to permanently shift the narrative of American culture and American um, society?
2: I believe that it wouldn't be wrong to compare the two um, timelines and the two and the shifts that we're in. I think we're at a moment where the way we viewed the presidency in the past is not the way we're going to view it from now going forward, um, and. Y- Yeah, scandals happen, but this is uh, unprecedented when it comes to what we've let pass, not only uh, in regards to President Trump, but also his entire board and congressmen and women are now getting away with things that should have been fireable offenses Uh, a month, uh, a year ago, two years ago. um, You had the Secretary of Interior just straight up say, Diversity doesn't matter two days ago and he would easily have been fired easily with a year and a half ago two years ago and Though like many are saying um, just because uh, the assassinations aren't happening or um, Crazy riots on the street aren't happening They could easily happen overnight. Uh, We now have a secretary secretary of state and the head of the National Security Council are not even, are warmongers that couldn't be confirmed by Republicans in the past. So if the fact that, th- that basic fact terrifies me because um, who knows where we'll be in a year when it comes to foreign policy. I can't believe I'm saying I'm gonna mix, miss Rex Tillerson. Like that's absolutely insane. Um, and that happened at the very moment that we are speaking with North Korea for the first time. So. I think the American public, it's not that they don't care, it's just that nothing abundantly insane has happened yet. It's just all adding up soon. Of of course it's insane to us uh, who are following the news pretty closely, but pretty soon we will see the effects of healthcare, tax reform, DACA. We've had so many deported already. And I hate to say this, but the fact that Republicans can't even stand behind former veterans that are being deported is crazy to me because that's such an easy line for them, like support our troops. So it's, it's just like scary to see where we'll be as a Democratic party and then as a Republican party this November because I, I don't recognize this Republican party but it's maybe who they've been for a couple years now and it's just starting to really show. I know that sounds horrible. So yeah, I, I mean, it's,
0: it's grim, but that's the time yeah. we're living in. Um, do you have, a, like, a word of hope or any action you'd like to, you know, bring light to for our listeners before we say goodbye?
2: For sure. So I'm really corny, and when I feel really down, I listen to old Obama speeches because oh. they really, uh, it's almost as if, not that he knew what was going to happen after his term, but he talked about hope in a way that was, like, not only hope in which, oh, he was elected our first African-American president, look at everyone uh, that can look up to him now even more so. He talks about it as if things may get bad, but I think the way he describes it is the arch might be long, but it always bends towards oh justice. justice. So I kind of question it sometimes. I'm like, come on, Barack, how long is this arch really? Like this, <laughs> is, this is going on for far too long. But the way I, yeah, the way I deal with it is, one, listen to his old speeches. Two, uh, talk to my younger siblings. Like, I love seeing, like, their faces, and my, youngest, my younger brothers are 10 and 11. And, or just seeing school children out in New York City, it's like, okay, I might not feel like there's that much hope left, but I have to for them, at least. Like, they're five, six years old. And then third, um, there's always work to do, and it's always going to be there no matter when you're ready to do it. So make sure that you're taking care of yourself first. I know self-care is so overused, but in my way of using it, it doesn't necessarily have to be like put a face mask on or like go out for a run, but it means you check in with yourself mentally. Like, am I doing the best that I can do? And if you are, then good. And if you aren't, then there's a reason for that. You might be burnt out. You might be stressing over something else. Um, but just keep a balance between doing work and then also deleting Twitter every now and then and then just like having a weekend to yourself um, and talking with friends, talking with friends. Like uh, having the NYU College Democrats has been so therapeutic and uh, it kind of sucks sometimes in high school when I didn't have friends to talk about politics with and so, yeah, I would say that. Wow, I mean, I feel inspired. So do I.
1: Thank you so much for joining us, Fadumo. It's an absolute pleasure.
2: Thank you so much for having me, guys, and congrats on the podcast. Thank, Thank you. you. Wow, it has been a crazy week.
1: I know what you mean, but we had a great interview with Fujimo to wrap it up.
0: This has been Fighting Words. I'm Raven Questenberry.
1: And I'm Ryan Trembauer. Check us out next week in your feed on SoundCloud, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts.
0: Thank you so much for joining us and remember, stay engaged
1: and question everything.